Peter Curry. Thank you for inviting us into your house. We will go eventually. But something that I need to ask you, politics. Mm. What the hell is happening in <laughs> politics today and how broken is it? Well, uh, as a preliminary, let's just be aware of where I am and where I'm coming from. Okay. Um, so I've been a member of the Conservative Party for over 50 years. I was a Remain campaigner. I voted Remain in 75. And I campaigned on the 2016 referendum on Remain, as you remember, because we we did a lovely event at uh, Sale Rugby Club. That's right. But I'm a a Democrat, and the moment the result was published, especially with 33 million people voting, which was huge turnout, I felt, right, then the job of government is to implement that decision and that what Prime Minister, then Prime Minister said was Brexit means Brexit uh, and that has to be put into operation hopefully in a very positive frame of mind so that we get some real benefit out of it. I think many people who voted leave did so not for economic or business reasons. In fact I mean the entire farming community voted to leave even though that meant that they were going to have to see huge changes in the way that they're subsidised and how they compete in, in the outside world. And the workforce. A whole, a whole range of issues where I was surprised to see that various communities voted heavily to leave. But when I asked people why, it, it revolved around rather amorphous things like sovereignty and identity and so on, which basically hadn't occurred to me as being as significant as they appeared to be. Right. However, we are Democrats. That means that we have to carry this forward. And increasingly, it's become obvious that um, the EU doesn't want us to do that. The EU thought that the United Kingdom would do the same as um, Ireland or Denmark or France when the referendum result went the wrong way. Uh, They would just hold another referendum and get the right result, which meant they probably don't know what the British alike, because this is a very stubborn nation and one that believes in controlling its own destiny. So where does that leave us? During this autumn, things are going to change very fast. We're heading for October 31st. There's a sense in which there's no such thing as no deal because you don't just leave without arrangements made. And there's also a sense in which March the 29th was a bit of a dress rehearsal with many businesses figuring out how they were going to get over the hump and therefore laying in extra supplies and stocks and so on. Uh, That's not economically efficient because you're having to pay for stuff you're not using. On the other hand, they know how to do it. And that, I think, is is where we're going to be heading now. Uh, Nobody is arguing now that the planes are going to fall out the sky or that our mobile phones are not going to work because those arrangements were made in the spring and they're going to carry through. They're a bit ad hoc and a bit temporary, but I think everything like that will work fine. Uh, The main issue seems to be goods and traded goods and whether they will get stuck in ports like Dover. The head of Calais port has said, that and that's going to be fine. Meanwhile, I think some people are rerouting through Hull, which is looking up. If it means that some of the Irish trade has to go from Cork to Rotterdam instead of, as it does at the moment, going right across Britain with a land bridge, 
I'm not quite sure whether that's a, a, a loss or actually a genuine gain to us. As for the Irish border, it's always been possible to do that on an electronic basis. You can get nicked for speeding on either side of the border, believe me. And if you're involved in any kind of dodgy activity, the police on both sides cooperate. And they do it through electronic means which already exist. So the idea that that can't be done, I think, is nonsense. In any case, most responsible, large-scale importers and exporters do things through um, pre-clearance of documents. They do that wherever they're going. You expect to be able to drive up to a border and have a, a barcode or something on the phone uh, that the driver has that just shows it. you're in. I can get in and out of a uh, the, the, the arena for a, a ticket. I can get on the train. I can get on a plane with everything on my phone. Are we seriously suggesting that can't be done on a border? That seems to me a very old-fashioned sort of argument. If the goodwill's there, I think it will, it will be uh, a success. Afterwards, the UK is then free to make a lot of its own trade deals, and that will be quite an exciting prospect. And I have a feeling since the people involved are politicians, that those trade deals are already very much in the pipeline and they will get announced quickly soon afterwards. Do you think that disruption will create businesses? Disruption and change always presents opportunities for business. And it is the nimble business that sees the opportunity. You know, as, as the internet came in, it wasn't the great companies that got on top of all of this. Uh, it wasn't the NHS that developed wonderful uh, IT. It was small businesses seeing the opportunity, jumping in like like Sage, for example, and, and in no time at all becoming big operations. The The chances are there. And for businesses, for example, that haven't uh, had to use customs documentation, I don't see why they should have to learn how to do it. You just employ someone to do it. Or you get the software and you do it. If you haven't done it already, you're going to need to get some advice and do it quickly. And some will be left behind and some will find themselves with, with difficulties. But hey, we've been talking about this now for getting on for three and a half years. Yeah, I was just about to say, you, you once told me that we would get a deal at the last minute. Do you still believe that? I've always thought that uh, to some extent this is a game of chicken. And that we should get a deal at the last minute. But time's getting short. Yeah. And a new bunch of uh, commissioners take over on November the 1st. That's why they gave us the extension to October 31st right. in the confident expectation that we would then demand another extension, which now is looking uh, very unlikely. It looks as if we will actually leave on the 31st of October. So it's changed, I think, from a game of chicken to a game of chess. The next few weeks are being very interesting. Let me suggest things that I think are very certain to happen. I think there will be a vote of no confidence called in the House of Commons. That's put down by the leader of the opposition. It can't be put down by anybody else. It has to be put down by the leader of the opposition. But what might happen is that the government wins it. Why might they do that? Plenty of people on the Labour side don't want a general election. They are way down in the polls. Yeah. There's also a lot of people on the Labour side very conscious that whatever their personal opinions, 
two-thirds of Labour seats voted to leave. And if we haven't left, or if there's a problem with Labour Party policy, that there is always the option of voting Conservative or Brexit. So I wouldn't be in the least surprised if the government actually wins a vote of no confidence. They only need one. And um, that means it couldn't be called for another year. Nobody's factored that thought in yet, have they? Because they're not politicians, really. They're, they're polemicists. They're propagandists. A politician is always thinking of the future and thinking, what are the options? Which ones do I like? Which ones am I going to try and promote? And which ones don't I like and I wish to, in some way, work against and campaign against? I think there'll be a general election, but not before October 31st. It would be very unwise for the government to call one before we have Brexit. They don't need to. It can be finessed through in such a way that the vote happens in November, by which time we're through and the sky has not fallen in. But we would need a majority in Parliament to get legislation through. And at the moment, Parliament hasn't got majority for anything. It's a mess. Do you think Boris Johnson would be the leader at the next general election? My guess is that Boris will continue to lead the Conservative Party for some while yet. And bear this in mind, he is a superb campaigner. Nobody thought he was going to win Mayor of London, and he did. Not once, but twice. And he is a shrewd strategist. He he focuses on the most important things. He doesn't do numbers. He doesn't do statistics. He leaves other people to do that. He has a very good eye for the key issues. And he seems to have a, a really good feel for how lots of ordinary people feel about things. And since he came in, Tories are well ahead in the polls. There are lots of people who don't like him. Lots of people don't trust him probably including me. Do you think he's a buffoon? No, 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 he's not no. a buffoon. He has said numerous times, caught on tape saying, I play the buffoon in order to lead on serious issues. It's, it's, um, it's part of his style. He likes to be underestimated. It's, I'll, give you an, I'll tell you the story that um, Jeremy Vine tells. Jeremy Vine, the broadcaster. Oh, right, yes. On... Um, uh, more than one occasion, they have found themselves at the same black tie do in London, big black tie event, where Jeremy Vine is the uh, MC and Boris is billed as the speaker. And on the first occasion, it's supposed to be happening at half past nine. Where's Boris? He, he comes rushing in uh, 10 minutes late uh, and says to Jeremy, who, who are the hosts? What's the event? It's up there on the wall there. Oh, yes, behind the podium. Oh, yes. Uh, right, OK. Um, and, and what are we supposed to be doing? We're presenting this. Oh, right, OK. Uh, Boris grabs a menu card, scribbles a few notes, stands up and says, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm absolutely delighted to be here at the... Uh, what is it? What is it? And looks behind and everyone falls about laughing. Oh, the, the um, um, amalgamated um, group of bookmakers. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes. Splendid event. Splendid. And, uh, and I'm going to be presenting the prize. What is it I'm doing? I'm presenting the prize. Oh, yes, right. And then he starts off telling a string of jokes. 
including a couple of very famous ones where he appears to mess up the punchline and has everybody in stitches and then says, very good indeed, and then presents the prize and off he goes. Everyone's had a wonderful night and all they can remember is Boris was the speaker. 18 months later, Jeremy says, he was there again for a different event where Boris was again the speaker. And he comes in late and he's 10 minutes late and he says, what's it for? It's up on there. And what am I supposed to be doing? Writes on the menu, stands up and makes exactly the same speech, including exactly the same apparent fluffs of the punchline. And everybody loves it. And Jeremy Vine says, he's not a buffoon. He just does things differently. Calculated. Mm. But what do you think about with Brexit? It's been over three years now. Theresa May was in charge, didn't get a deal, asked to leave. We're in a bit of a, 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 bit of a stalemate now, mm. but... You know, non-British workers are living here, got family over here. You know, what the hell is going off in their minds? It's... The the last three years, Paul, have been awful. Horrible. Awful. Uh, Not least because there's been a a sense of national humiliation about this great country, the fifth largest economy in the world, not being able to get a trade deal. We've been trading country since oh, Elizabeth I. And not to have a trade deal and not to be able to share our expertise and what we produce uh, freely and to be able to buy what we want. You know, we haven't fed our country uh, in terms of our, our own domestic produce, again, since the days of Elizabeth I. That's why there are pineapples carved into the wood of every uh, manor house you see in the country. We have imported our food. And we have grown as a nation, prospered, because we get comparative advantage from free trade. And we believe in free trade. And we always have done. Uh, and it's been a humiliation, I think, not to get that settled. That's what we really want from the EU. When it comes to freedom of movement, freedom of movement will end on October 31st. But movement won't end. And the key thing here is how exactly do you ensure that the people who come are the ones that you want? Now, I'm not entirely sure that the way you do that is measure them by how much they're earning. Because you also want people who will do entry-level jobs. But then I'm not competing for an entry-level job. I don't resent that. Nobody competes with me. I'm unique (laughs) Uh, but much of the resentment comes from people who see others coming in and working at what they perceive to be a lower wage. So I, I, I can sense their resentment. You need to have some controls. Uh, in the EU, we have no control of movement of people coming in from the EU. We have control of movement of people coming in from other places. And some of the people that came in from other places, particularly from the Indian subcontinent, voted heavily for us to leave so they could compete on a a level playing field. I would guess we will continue to need to import people for some time. Why? Because actually our working population needs to keep in sync with our non-working population, particularly older people. 
We've got 15 million people uh, over 65 now. And we have 11 million people over 65. We have 15 million retired people. The population of people over 85 is due to double in the next 20 years. They need help. They need care. They need the health service. And that means we're going to need to continue to import people and try and make sure that they have a good life here and perhaps even want to stay. What's the incentive for them to come? Well, there are many incentives for people to come to the UK. One is that often people have got family here. That's how my grandfather came when he was 16 years old in 1897. He got uncle family here. One is sometimes that they're coming to make a better life here than they possibly can where they come from. One is that it's a great country to be in. We argue endlessly about issues like freedom and and how you treat people and how you absorb people and you have a, a diverse community and that people should be made welcome and that we should all learn to live with different habits and ideas. We argue about it here and then we do it. In many countries, discrimination built into law um, and you can't get a job unless you have this document and you can't marry unless you're marrying the right sex or something like that. This country is a much more tolerant place. It doesn't always take enough pride in that, but we should. It's very businesslike. We have a strong civil code. We have a strong legal code. It is, in many ways, a much safer place to live than many other countries. And you can just come here, as my granddad did, set up your own business and mind your own business. I think that's wonderful. (laughs) What are you angry about with Brexit at the moment? I suppose uh, some of what makes me angry is the way Theresa May was treated. She's a good and decent woman who worked so hard to get the best for the country. And she was treated with disdain and contempt by some of the negotiators in Europe who are not themselves elected people at all. She tried so hard. I think she was a a very nice woman who probably didn't have quite the skills of media and so on. But everything about her was genuine. Whereas uh, some of the way that she was attacked, I thought was outrageous it even had me feeling that it was happening because she was a woman oh you can't do that Um, that makes me cross Uh, the sense that we've all been held up for three years instead of being able to get on with things that makes me uh, across and many investment decisions are being held on to a lot of the uh, merger and acquisition work in uh, has been put on hold The housing market is sort of trundling along instead of continuing to grow, which Mm. means that people trying to get on the housing market uh, into the ladder for the first time, uh, they find it more difficult. Uh, What what has gone well is that actually people whose jobs and the way they do the job uh, is valuable. That's being recognised more. So we see real wages going up quite substantially, more than inflation. Um, And I hope that continues helps to encourage people to work hard and know that they're going to do better in future. Would you, what would you say to the uh, critics that say Theresa May spent over three years and didn't get any results? She didn't come back with any results. So we couldn't monitor how well she was doing, mm. uh, trying to convince 
leaders, uh, EU leaders, that um, you know, to to do business with Britain. We we didn't see anything coming back. We just saw the saw them media, and and no results. Well, there's another way of, of looking at it, which is what we've always been interested in: is negotiating a free trade deal, right? Uh, and uh, dealing with the border in Northern Ireland or the other borders between the EU and 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 us. That's our main border, obviously. Um, but also just making sure that goods can flow freely and that the rights of citizens of different countries who live in our country or our citizens who live abroad, that they can be protected and recognised. That shouldn't have been too difficult. But the, the EU set up the timetable and the timetable was number one, money, right? Number two, people. And number three, uh, the the Northern Ireland border. And we never got any further than that. And you think, hang on a minute, if you did it the other way around, we might have got agreement. We might have had a free trade agreement by now. You've done one with Germany. You've done one with Canada. How about us? You know, and that should have been easy because we have much the same Rules. We have identical rules on those things, uh, and we're not likely to uh, divulge, uh, uh, diverge away from that uh, too much. And I think if the EU had wanted to do that, that should have been straightforward. And they didn't. And there's something very uncomfortable about the elected leader of a nation like ours, with a proud history, trying to negotiate with a group of people who are not elected, um, who have no one to answer to, who've never run a business ever, trying to tell us what to do. So I used to be a Remainer, and now I sympathise a lot with the people who are leavers, and my feeling is, oh, for God's sake, let's get out. It's not going to be Armageddon. And this part of the world in particular knows how to swerve, knows how to get things done. And the quicker we get to this time next year, when I think things will be a lot better, the sooner I shall like it. Well, you could say we didn't, we didn't, as voters, we didn't vote for Theresa May and we didn't vote for Boris Johnson. Actually, you did vote for Theresa May. We voted for the party. Because, well, because <clears throat> in 2016, it didn't, actually, you did vote for Theresa May. I know it doesn't feel like it, but in 2017, the Tories won that election in the sense of being by far the largest party, only just short of uh, a majority. So um, more people voted for Theresa May uh, than had voted for Cameron, I think. Well, votes were actually very high. However, that's how our system works. And our system has developed over, over 400 years. Uh, the opportunity will come when, if you prefer Jeremy Corbyn and his policies towards business, feel free, be my guest, but I wouldn't recommend it. And that uh, leads me on to the other quick question. What do you think to Jeremy Corbyn as leader? I've known Jeremy Corbyn for, oh, goodness me, 36 years since we both came into Parliament on the same day. Wow. In 1983. It was also the day that saw... Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and Diane Abbott and a host of extremely distinguished people. Um, he came in as an unreconstructed Marxist and that's the position that he held right up till recently. Uh, he, 
he was one of those people who wouldn't talk to anybody else. What I found as, as a girl from a working class background, born and brought up in Liverpool and representing a working class seat, was that I did actually become quite friendly with members of the Labour Party. We had shared interests and they could see that um, I understood where they were coming from. But they were old Labour and often they didn't like Blair and his style and going into Iraq and so on. And they then find themselves faced with, um, with Jeremy Corbyn and with what amounts to something that reminds them of militant back in the 80s, which undermined Labour very, very badly. This sort of quite aggressive left-wing stuff. Um, whether Jeremy agrees with it or not, he does nothing to discourage it. Those are the people who join the Labour Party and they have very simplistic views on how a state should be run. I think he shares those views. I think he would like us to be like Venezuela. And I very profoundly think that's wrong, that I want us not to be a centrally planned country where we're in the hands of politicians, any politicians, but particularly not left-wing ones who are anti-capitalist. Capitalism has many faults and always needs some kind of checks and balances, but it's proved to be the best way of enabling wealth to be spread around and for success and for innovation to be brought in and to be shared very, very widely. And I'm a capitalist to my fingertips, and I don't think Jeremy, well, I think people of people who agree with Jeremy probably hang me by those fingertips for saying that. And do you think if David Miliband was Labour leader at the next election, he would become Prime Minister? Especially at the moment, he's Chief Executive of the, the International Rescue Committee. And Christ knows we need rescuing at the moment, don't we? I think we can manage without people coming in from New York telling us what to do, whether their names are Donald Trump or David Miliband. But there's a big problem with the uh, thesis you put forward, which is David Miliband is not a member of parliament. And you can't be leader of a party in the United Kingdom unless you are a member of the House of Commons, uh, which he isn't. He chose to leave when his brother bumped him off. <laughs> yeah, that didn't, uh, didn't um, look good, did it? That did not go down well and was not a success. But no, my suspicion is that whoever is going to lead the Labour Party in future is one in Parliament now. Yeah. And uh, two is going to have a hell of a job getting Jeremy's fingernails off the cliff. And I have every sympathy because that's an experience that we've had in the past. Uh, when Margaret Thatcher had carried out all the agenda and was clinging on because she was Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. So it's going to be a very interesting few years in politics. Stick with it, believe me. And finally, who would you like to be leader of the country if we do have an election? Well, I am the president of the High Peak Conservative Association for my sins, which means I ought to be out door knocking right now and uh, hoping to win the constituency here, which would mean winning back from Labour, making a difference of two to the majority. We're lovely. And I will certainly be uh, trailing in uh, Boris Johnson's footsteps, watching him with great interest.
like him or loathe him, he's box office. And he has an extraordinary ability to speak to ordinary people. Um, whether he will carry out what all the ordinary people want, he hasn't had a chance to show yet, has he? But I think he will be Prime Minister after the next election. And Wiener Curry, thank you very much. Thank you.